It's great to be with you this morning. Um, and I don't know about you, but I've loved this calling series. I'm chuckling to myself in my head right now because I feel like every time I stand up here to preach, that's how I start. I'm like, I love the series. But I do, I love every series. And this one in particular, I really just feel like God has been speaking to me in a personal way about the things that he's called me to. And I really do hope, just as you've perhaps spent time in his presence spend time in prayer, spend time in the Bible that God perhaps has been speaking to you about the things that he specifically called you to as an individual. But if I'm completely honest, God hasn't just been speaking to me about the things he's called me to. He's also been speaking to me about the things that perhaps have become obstacles or hindrances to me in being able to fully live out my calling, the thing that he has called me to. And I really think it's so good as a community if we process that kind of thing too. As we hear God speaking to us about the things that he's called us to, that at the same time we ask him, God, what are the obstacles, what are the hindrances in my life that are holding me back from being able to step out into the things that you have called me to? And a couple of weeks ago, God really highlighted one area in quite a significant way. And we had this guy staying with us in our home. And on the Saturday, Brendan had gone out with a few friends to hang out with them. And so I was left at home with this guy. Ooh, got dark in here. <laughs> I was left at home with this guy and with my two kids, Maddie and Dylan. Um, Maddie is seven and Dylan is five. And they're amazing. Like, they're such a gift. Um, and we were just hanging out with him. He needed to run some errands. So we were just taking him out and about to do the things he needed to do. And whilst we were driving around in the car, <laughs> they literally just started like behaving terribly like they are kids they can be naughty they have their moments but this was like nothing I had ever seen before it was like wild it was out of control and um like one I was super embarrassed I was just like oh my goodness like it's just so funny how kids have this way of when you're trying to put your best foot forward and impress someone they just come and bring the humility they're like no 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 I'm gonna show you what it's really like in this house and yeah I I was really embarrassed, but more than that, I was also, I have this little thing in me, um, and it's called people-pleasing, and so as much as they were misbehaving, I was also not parenting very well, and the reason for this being that in my mind, I kept trying to think, how does this person think I should respond? What do they think is the right way to go about this? How would they be disciplining in this moment? The whole time, I was just completely caught up in oh my gosh, what should I do so that they can think I'm doing a good job? Um, and it got to the point where things were getting so hectic in that car that this person stepped in and disciplined my children with their words. And if you're a parent, you can just imagine the tension that filled the car at that moment. Because as parents, we understand and know our children misbehave, but when somebody else points it out, it's like, whoa. Like, nobody talks about my kids but me, you know? And so there was this tension and awkwardness in the car. And I just want to say it's actually a beautiful thing that in community and family we can have people speaking into our lives, but sometimes it's really hard to take it when they do speak. And so it was tense. There was, like, an atmosphere in that car. It wasn't all that fun. Um, and that person really was trying to love me. They were trying to serve me. They were trying to help me out in that moment. But really, all I felt in that moment was completely crushed. And I think that reason for that being two reasons. Firstly, 
I'm really insecure in the area of parenting. I feel like it's not something that very naturally comes to me um, all that well, and I don't feel like I'm killing it in the parenting field. So it's like an area where I feel a bit insecure. And on top of that, because I'm a people pleaser, all that was running through my mind at that point in time was not even about the children. I was like, what is this person thinking about me. They must think I am a terrible mother. It speaks in the Bible about how how elders and their wives must have their children out of control. So now I'm thinking, this guy's probably thinking like, you, what's what's up with this chick? Like as a follower of Jesus, he's probably thinking, she doesn't know how to look after her own children. And I was just utterly consumed with these thoughts about what this person was thinking about me. And the next night, um, we had a spare moment, just Brendan and I, and we were sitting in our lounge, and I was literally pouring out my heart to Brendan. I was, like, there's no better word to describe it than to say that I was lamenting to him. I was devastated. Guys, I was crying. I was sobbing. Brendan just sat there like a deer in the headlights, like, what is going on here? Like, how how bad was this car ride? Because <laughs> my reaction was just so, like, whoa, out of control. Um, And I was just saying to him, like, I don't know what this person thinks about me. Like, they must not, like, I want them to think I'm awesome. They must think I'm, like, a nutcase, you know. And as I'm talking to Brennan about this, we hear the gate open. Don't worry, he didn't hear what I was saying. We heard him coming. (laughs) But he walks in. You see, I'm still worried about what people think. Oh, there's no hope. (laughs) But anyway, he comes through to the lounge and he sits down on the couch. And out of nowhere, he just starts encouraging us. He's like, this is the things that I see in you that I love. These are the things that I see that I value. And he really just starts affirming and encouraging us. And it was weird because it was this stark moment where I went from absolute devastation, like I was, I was down, to absolute elevation. Because now I realize this person approves of me. They validating me. They don't think I'm too awful. They like some things in me. And it was a moment that really shocked me, if I can be honest with you, because I always knew I had a problem with people-pleasing. But to see in one moment how some someone, one man's approval of me could take me from devastation to, like, I can conquer the world, it scared me a little bit because it felt like that thing in me was getting a bit out of control. And really, in that moment, I felt God say to me, Kim... If you want to step into everything that I've called you to do, if you want to step fully step into the calling that I have over your life, you cannot be so consumed with the approval of man and the applause and praise of man. In Galatians 1 verse 10, Paul writes saying, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. And I think for each one of us, we're going to face these moments where we're caught in this dilemma. Is the life I'm living or the things I'm doing, is what I'm doing about getting the approval and praise of man, or is it about getting the, being approved by God and bringing God delight? And I think there's that thing in each one of us that wants to be liked and loved by people. And I think that's totally normal. Like, it would be so strange if we wanted to be disliked and hated. So I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But where it becomes a problem and an issue is where it starts dictating and determining everything that I do in my life, what I do or what I do not do. Really, at its core, it's an issue of identity. It's where who I am is becoming to be defined by what I do and what people think about what I do. 
Because when our identity is based on these kinds of things, it can only be a disaster for us. We currently live in a society and culture that is on a almost like a desperate hunt and search for identity. Some, I was reading some, an article the other day that says like psychologists are actually determining our era of living as the identitarianism age, which means that our core motivation for everything we do is a search for identity. And what happens when we're searching for identity is that we become achievement-based. Everything we do is about what people are going to say about it and who it says that we are. And so we move from being calling-based, where what God has called us to, and what the Spirit leads us to do, we move from doing those things to doing the things that we think people will approve of and um, applaud us for. We kind of get stuck into this trap of thinking that what we do is our identity, but what the Bible shows us that our identity is as the gospel defines us, that actually when we are followers of Jesus, our identity is based on Jesus. It's about based on his finished work, that we don't need to perform or to prove ourselves or to kind of make a name for ourselves, but actually we are a child of God in him, that actually we are fully and approved and loved by God in him. Our identity and our calling are very much linked, but they are not the same thing. Our identity is who we are, and our calling is what we do. And so I think it's so important for us as followers of Jesus to actually know who we are first and foremost, to know who we are in Jesus, that we are already fully approved and loved by God because of what Jesus did on the cross, that he died for us and that he rose again. And it's important for us to know what we are called to, because if we don't know who we are and we don't know what we're called to, then we're just going to do the things that are going to make us approved by men and applauded by men. And so in the context of this idea this morning, we're going to be taking a look at the life of David. David was a guy who was just an ordinary shepherd boy who was called by God to be the king of Israel. And in the story, we see how David was someone whose identity was secure in God. He knew who he was in God. And we also see that he knew what God had called him to, that God had called him to be the king of Israel. And he wasn't waiting around to be recognized or validated or approved of or applauded by men, but he was looking to who he was in God and to fulfilling what God had called him to do. He was a man who was after God's own heart and, and wanted to seek the ways of God. So if you have your Bibles with you this morning or your devices, you can turn with me to 1 Samuel 16, verses 1 to 13. Sorry. And it says, The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. See, Samuel's also got this little issue with approval of man. Then it continues and it says, And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord, and invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for for me him whom I declare to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him, trembling, and said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, 
peaceably I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by and he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? And he said, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ready and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. You've got to wonder why God puts these parts of the Bible, but anyway. And the, <laughs> like, okay. and the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And this, in this moment with David being anointed by Samuel to become king, we um, kind of get a glimpse into a very interesting family dynamic at play here. You see, Samuel had asked uh, Jesse to bring all of his sons to the sacrifice. And um, that's not what we see Jesse doing, because in a way, David was really underestimated in his family. He was the youngest child. He was the youngest of eight boys. And what that meant in that culture was he was nothing. Like, he was the eighth backup to the main man, Eliab. Like, Eliab, if anyone in that culture was going to be worthy of being king, was going to be appointed as king, it was going to be the firstborn. Because that is how men in that culture and people in that culture determined who could be used or who could be significant or who could be successful or who could be anything. It was your position. That's how that culture at that time determined these things. But we see in verse 7 that God says that he is different to man. He's not looking at what's external. He's not looking at what society deems as um, approved of or applauded or praised. No, God is interested in the heart. The thing that took God about David, that pointed uh, David out to God, was his heart. It says that he was a guy that had a heart after God's own heart. What that meant was that David had a heart for the Lord. He loved the Lord. He was devoted to the Lord. He, was, um, he loved God's ways. And I just want to say before we continue that this doesn't mean that David was perfect. When we read through the rest of David's story, we see that there, there's some really big faults about him. One, he's not particularly a good father. He doesn't um, handle his children very well. We see that he commits adultery, that he has an affair, and then he murders the woman's husband. And so we can see that David, he's not perfect. And that's really good news for us because the truth is none of us are perfect. When God says he's looking at the heart, God's not looking for perfection from us, but he's looking for a heart that loves his ways, even though we're not even capable of fulfilling all his ways. But do we have a heart that loves his ways? That is what God is looking at. He's not looking at what man is looking at. 
And if you think about it in today's um, cultures and societies, God's ways are not something that are really all that approved of and applauded anymore. In fact, they're often seen as old-fashioned, backward, like strange sometimes. But we see that that is what God is after, someone who has a heart for him, who's devoted to him, who loves him, and who loves his ways. We see, even though in his family context, David isn't the one being put forward. He isn't the one, he's not approved of really. He's kind of seen as nothing in his family. He's not applauded, he's not praised, he's not recognized. We just see, like, despite all of this, that he kind of, the way he responds shows us that his identity is in who God says he is. We see that his identity is in the fact that God has called him. Even if his family can't see what God has put in him, even if the prophet at first can't see what God has put in him, he knows and trusts in what God has said, that God has called him. And he uses that to determine whether he's going to step into that or not. He's not waiting to be approved of. He's not waiting to be validated. He's not waiting to be recognized. Um, but at the same time, can you imagine how hard that moment must have been? How um, that must have created like such a rejection in him, in a sense. How painful that must have been. You know, somebody calls for all of your sons to come. And you choose every single son to come except for the one. And that's you. And I don't know, this morning, if you're sitting here and you face any kind of family rejection in that way, I know that I have in my family, I've not been approved of or applauded or praised or recognized or validated. But we see in the scripture that besides that, David is still able to know who he is in God and to step into what God has called him to. And the truth is, even if you did have that validation from your family, perhaps it's not your family, perhaps it's a friend or a husband or a boyfriend or whoever, a work colleague, a boss, even if you did have that validation from them, it still wouldn't be enough to bring true satisfaction. This morning, I really believe that God is wanting to draw us to himself and to show us that actually where we find our satisfaction is in Jesus. He is truly the only one who can satisfy us. People's praise and approval and validation of us will never be enough to satisfy us. It's like being on a hamster wheel where you just keep going, trying to earn approval, trying to earn what people, people's applause and praise of you. It's relentless. It's endless. The funny thing about the story that I shared at the beginning was um, in the week leading up to that moment, it was kind of a, it was a strange time in my life where I don't think I've ever been more encouraged than I was in that week. Like, people were encouraging me and affirming things in me. And then I had this one moment that utterly devastated me. And it was like all that encouragement meant nothing. It meant absolutely nothing. And that's what it's like when we're looking to be satisfied in the approval of men. It's relentless. It's, and you can never be satisfied. Jesus is the one who satisfies us. And it's only when our identity is in him and we know that we're called, that we can live out our calling and be fully satisfied and whole. We see in the story of David that, you know, he had his identity in God. He knew what God had called him to, and so he wasn't looking to those things to, to, to kind of prove himself to anyone or to be validated by anyone. But even though he wasn't doing that and he was living in his calling step, you know, living in that being identifying himself in God, we see that he still had a difficult time. And I think it's really good to make that clear, that even when we have our identity in God, when we're satisfied in him, when we know what he's called to us, us to, it's still at times going to be hard to live out that calling. As we read through the book of Samuel 1 and 2, if you're interested in the story of David, that's where it's all going down. 
we see that he had a really tough time even after Samuel had anointed him as king. The first thing we see in the very next chapter, in 1 Samuel chapter 17, is that his father, after he's been anointed, sends him to bring his brother's lunch. And when he comes to bring his brother's lunch, his oldest brother Eliab, the one that everyone thought should be king, says to him, why are you even here? Like, get lost. Like, you are conceited and you're wicked. Those are the words he uses to describe David. He says, you shouldn't be here. Go back to your sheep. Why are you here with us? Like, just get lost. Still, even after he's anointed to be king, they all know it. They all heard it. They still do not approve of him. We see in the story of David that he waited 20 years, two decades, to step into his calling to be king. He was 17 when um, Samuel anoints him to be king, and he is only 37 when he actually becomes uh, the reigning and ruling king over Israel. That can't be easy. It's not easy to wait 20 years to step into your calling, but we see that he is faithful in that, and he follows God, and he trusts in God despite that. And while he is waiting those 20 years, not only does he have to wait that long to step into his calling, but we see that the current king, King Saul, is trying to murder him. On several occasions, he's trying to take David out because Saul hated him. Saul didn't applaud him, didn't approve of him, didn't validate him, didn't recognize him. Saul hated him. And so when we look to our identity in God and we're walking on in our calling, we can expect it at times to be difficult even when we're we're doing that, even when we're placing our identity in Jesus, even when we're trusting God for what he said. There can be tough moments. But what the story of David does shows us, show us that when we put our identity in God and when we trust him for his calling over our lives, that there is an overflow that is created in our lives. And I just want to look quickly at four things that we see um, are overflows in the life of David. Firstly, we see that we have the freedom to do what God has called us to do. We're not worried about what people think. We're not worried about what people have to say about us. We're worried about what God is saying about us. We're consumed with what God is calling us to. We're not worried about earning people's recognition and praise. And one of the things that I feel called to by God is to preach. And um, to be honest with you, for a very long time, I dreaded this moment. Honestly, I didn't want to stand up here. I didn't want to say anything on a microphone because it was so scary. And the reason that it was so scary for me, I think there's lots of reasons it could be scary, but for me in particular is that I had a lot of pride because I was a people pleaser. And so I didn't want to risk standing up here, making a fool of myself, offending someone. Like I could say anything and anyone could get upset with me. Like it was a bit overwhelming for me, to be honest with you. I didn't want to stand up here and preach. But when I'm not consumed by the approval of man and by getting man's applause and praise, I can say, God, actually, I know you've called me to do this, so I'm going to do it because I actually want to please you, Father. I want to do the thing that you've called me to do. And I'm going to toss aside what people might say about me, whether they praise me or not, whether they think I did a good job or not, because I don't have to perform up here because I'm already approved and loved by, by you. And I do this as a service to you out of love for you because I know that you have called me to do it. We see David doing that same thing. Regardless what his brothers say, regardless what the prophet thought, regardless what his father thinks, he continues in the things that God has called him to do. The second thing we see in the life of David was that he's not worried about comparing himself to people and competing with people. Um, 
In 1 Samuel 17, when Jesse sends David to take his brother's lunch, he's actually going to a battlefield. And what's happening in that battlefield is the Israelites are fighting against the Philistines. And it's a story that's very well known in pop culture. It's a story of David and Goliath. And we see that the background to the story is David gets there, and basically Goliath is saying to the Israelites, let's make this a one-on-one battle. Okay, never mind us against you. Me, Goliath, the giant, the scary, scary, big, strong man, I'll fight any one of you Israelites, and the winner takes all. Whoever wins this battle is going to win the victory for either Israel or for the Philistines. And we see that the Israelites are scrambling. None of them want to fight him. They're worrying. They're like stressed out. They don't know what to do. And David arrives on the scene, and his response to the situation is, what is wrong with you guys? Do you not know the God that you serve? Do you not know that God will make you victorious, that he is a faithful God who will come through for you? And so he says, oh, I'll do it. Like, he's not even in the army, and he's volunteering himself up. And the thing in, in that moment is, the person that should have volunteered themselves up was the king. It was Saul. He should have been the first one to say, I will go and defend my people. I will go and fight for my people, because that is what true kings do. That is what we see Jesus doing. He came down to earth. He, was a, he is a king. And he fought the fight we couldn't fight for us. And it's the same thing that actually Saul was called to do as king. But we see David do it. Because actually David was a king. And he knew he was called by God. And he would do the tough things because of that. And we see in that moment that Saul says to him, you know what, David? I'm going to give you my armor to use. Because you're probably going to die. So you might as well have everything you can have to be able to try and fight this guy. And we read in 1 Samuel 17, verse 38 to 40, it says, Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, his shepherd's crook. He chose five smooth stones from the stream. He put them in the pouch of a shepherd's bag and with his sling in his hand approached the Philistine. And of course, the story ends with David defeating Goliath, a little shepherd boy with his slingshot against a mighty giant with all his weaponry. And what really stands out to me in the story of David is that he's not trying to be someone he's not. He's not, if he had stopped for one moment and compared himself to the rest of the soldiers in the army, if he had stopped for one moment and compared himself to Saul, there's no chance he's taking his slingshot to that battle. It's like taking a knife to a gunfight. He was just never going to do that. If he had been looking and seeing, well, how do the rest of you go about this? How do the rest of you, like, do this army thing? He wouldn't have wanted his slingshot. He would have wanted everything else that they all had. But we see that actually he knows. God has made me in this unique way. He has given me the ability to use the slingshot in a profound way, in a way that uh, slays giants. And so I don't need to compare myself to everyone around me because God has made me uniquely. And when he calls me, he calls me as the unique person that I am. I don't need to be like Saul. I don't need to be like my brothers. I don't need to be like the rest of the army. We see he isn't trying to compare himself 
And I think the real testing comes for us when we start comparing ourselves to the people that do the similar callings to us. Because it's really easy uh, for me to be fine with you if you're not doing what I'm doing. But the moment you're doing what I'm doing and I start comparing myself, then I'm going to come into some trouble. I'm probably going to start wanting to compete with you. We see that that's what Saul does with David in the story of David, that he's trying to compete with David. He's trying to show that he's the better king, the rightful king. And as he's hunting David and trying to murder him, we see that David himself has a few opportunities to kill Saul. He could have ended it right there. He could have said, I'm going to kill you now, and then I'm going to be king, and then it's over. I've won. I'm on the podium. Everyone's looking at me. Uh, You can't compete with me, Saul. But we see that he doesn't do that. In our culture and society, when we compare with one another, when we're on social media looking at this one and that one, and we start competing, what happens is we want to take people out. But when we know our identity in God and we know what he's called us to, we can celebrate other people's callings. We can celebrate what they're doing. We don't have to compare ourselves to other people. We can be who we are. We can be firm in our identity in God and step into the things which he has for us. And to take it back to what I feel called to, called to preaching, when I start comparing myself to other preachers, there's no chance I want to stand up here. And that's not a pity party. I'm just not the best preacher in the world. Because honestly, like not, for many of us, we're not going to be the best at what God calls us to do. If I start looking at Grant and at John Tyson, he's my favorite preacher, Tim Keller, Brad Sarian, Callum, whoever... I'm not getting up here because I can't compare. And like, just by the way, one of my strength finders' strengths is competition. Yeah. So I know all about this thing about competing. I'm going to want to compete, but I'm not going to want to compete if I know I can't win. And so, you know, it's a bit of a disaster. But if I know who I am in God, I don't need to compare. I don't need to compete because I'm doing it for him. I'm doing it for him because he's called me and not because I want to be the best. Although often in my heart, that's a battle. I want to be the best. We can do it the way that God has called us to do it for him and for his glory. We see also um, another overflow in David's life when he has his identity in God and knows what he's called to is that he can be fully satisfied in God. And earlier we talked about the fact that, um, you know, Jesus is the only one who satisfies us. And I think often... We're not only looking to the approval of man and applause of man to satisfy us, but we at times can even be looking to our callings to satisfy us, that actually our callings um, can give us a level of significance and success that makes us feel good about ourselves. Um, In Psalm 84, uh, David writes, How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. And what David is saying here is, I just want to be with you. I know that true satisfaction is found in your presence. And actually, I don't care what you've called me to. If you called me to be a doorkeeper, then that's great because I know that it's not my calling that satisfies me. It's knowing you and being found in you that satisfies me. And I think for a lot of us, the reality is that we're looking for callings that will give us significance, that will give us success, that will maybe we want visibility, we want a platform, we want to 
create a space where people can be amazed by what we can do and what God has called us to. And so actually we're looking for that thing to satisfy us instead of God satisfying us. But the funny thing about the kingdom of God is that Jesus says in the kingdom of God, the least is the greatest. And so we use a human perspective to determine what is praiseworthy, what is to be applauded, what is to be like put on a platform and, and made much of. But we see in the kingdom that all callings have value and that all callings have significance and that not one calling is better than the next. We see in the life of Jesus, there is no person who has lived out their calling more successfully than Jesus Christ. There was no one applauding him. There was no one praising him. There was no one putting him on a pedestal. They put him on a cross. They despised him. They mocked him. They taunted him. No one was clapping for him. No one was encouraging him, saying, look at you. You've done so well. And yet all of heaven applauded him. God was delighted him and pleased with him. It's all throughout the Gospels. How, king, how, the, how God defines significance and success and calling is wildly different to how the world does. We see that Jesus says about John the Baptist, he says there is no greater man in the kingdom than he. John the Baptist, what did he do? From a human perspective, oh, he baptized a few people, great. You know, our world's not gonna be jumping up and down by that. But for Jesus, he says, no, 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 no. This man has done great things for the kingdom of God. We see it again when Jesus is in the synagogue with his disciples and they're watching people come and put money in the offering box. And I think there would probably have been many Jews that day coming and bringing a lot of money. But then this woman walks in and she puts two coins in the box and Jesus stops everything and says to his disciples, look at this woman, look at what she's brought, look at what she's given. Nobody on earth was applauding her. Nobody on earth was looking at her and thinking, wow, that's incredible. But God is not judging by external appearances. He's looking at the heart. And he knew in that moment that that woman was devoted to God, that she loved God. She was bringing everything she had, even though the world didn't recognize it or applaud it or praise it. God noticed, and heaven and Jesus were applauding her. We've got to redefine what we see as successful and significant in our callings. Otherwise, we'll never be able to live out every calling that God has for us we don't see it as being significant for the kingdom. Lastly, we see that when we know who we are in God, our identity is in him, and we know what we've called to, and we're satisfied in God, we don't have to use our callings to bring us satisfaction, that we are able to bring glory to God. God is looking for people whose hearts are after him, who love him, or who are devoted to him, who are looking for his approval, He's looking for people who won't be parading themselves around, trying to get all the recognition and praise. People who are after his glory, who want to point people to him, who want to show people him, who reveal his glory. And when when we are after approval of man, when we are looking for applause and praise from man and recognition from man and for validation from men, the things we do are for that. They're not for the glory of God. If I stand up here and I preach and I'm, my intention is to be approved by you and I'm looking for recognition from you and validation from you and to be applauded and praised by you, then when I preach, I'm really preaching for my own glory instead of the glory of God. And I don't think that's why God gives us a calling. 
He gives us a calling so we can bring glory to his name and point people to him. And we can only do that when our identity is in him and we know what he's called us to. If you read through the Bible, every single character is an unlikely character. People go, God, you could have chosen anyone. Why that person? Like, really, God? Like, I could pick 10 other people who could do a better job. In the life of David, we see he was the eighth choice for king amongst his brothers, the least likely in his family to be the one that God would anoint. We see in his fight against Goliath, the slingshot boy, who do you think people thought were going to win that fight? Definitely not David and his slingshot. But when God uses the unlikely, the one that no one is going to even expect can do anything, that's when he brings glory to himself because people know that that is God. They know that that's not man. And so when we bring ourselves before him and we say, God, I know who I am in you. I don't need the approval and praise and applause and recognition of others. I come and do what I do for your glory, even though I might be the unlikely pick, even though I actually can't do anything without you, Father. I need you, God. When we do that, that is what God is inviting us to in our walks with him, to step out and, and, and fulfill our callings to bring glory to him. That is the purpose of why he gives us a calling, so that people can come to know him and so that he can be glorified. In Hebrews 12, there's a scripture that speaks about running our race. And really, I think that's a scripture about actually stepping and fulfilling into the calling that God has for us over our lives. And it says there, it calls us to throw off every hindrance and obstacle that gets in the way of us following Jesus and of being able to live out our calling and serve him and glorify him. And this morning, maybe perhaps that is the approval of man for you. Maybe the things that you do are determined by whether people applaud or praise you. And so when it gets hard and when it gets tough and when people aren't recognizing you or validating you, you want to start to do other things, not the calling that God has called you to because the calling that God has called you to is getting nowhere with man. But perhaps if I do this or that, then I'll get what I'm truly looking for. I believe this morning that God is wanting to throw, help us throw those obstacles off us so that we can fully serve him and bring him glory. Perhaps this morning, it's something different. Um, perhaps it's sexual sin. Perhaps it's uh, wanting to be wildly successful in your career, and it's actually getting in the way of what God's called you to. Perhaps it could be so many things. There are so many things that the devil tries to throw at us to get us from stepping into that which God has for us. And this morning, I really believe that God is wanting to do a work in our hearts where we can throw those things off and come before him, knowing who we are in him and living out the calling that he has given to us. So let's stand.